This past week or the weeks before that, we started a new series called Rooted. Y'all enjoying Rooted? Yes. Yeah, it don't sound like y'all enjoying it to me. Enjoying Rooted. We're walking through the book of Ephesians. We're walking through it line by line, verse by verse, word by word. We're, we're milking it dry. We're wringing that thing dry. We're going to walk through it. And my hope is, as we've talked about why is this called Rooted, is that we would become rooted in who Jesus has called us to be, what God has done, what he's pre-planned through Jesus Christ since the beginning of time. So we're rooted in him, learning about what it means to be rooted in Jesus, but also now how do we live those roots out and conduct our lives on a day-to-day basis. So we're talking about this whole idea of rooted. And Ephesians is great because it breaks down that whole concept where the first three chapters of the book are are focusing on God's plan, focusing on his, his sovereignty and what he did through Jesus for our good. And then those last three chapters, chapters four through six, focus on how we live those roots out, how we conduct our day-to-day lives. So y'all ready to get into it this morning? Y'all not ready. Y'all not ready. Let me, let me, y'all ready? Y'all ready to get into the word this morning? All right. Okay. Okay. If you got a Bible, be with me, jump with me into Ephesians chapter one. We're still in the chapter one, verses 11 through 14. We just got three verses today. Ephesians chapter one, verses 11 through 14. Once you have, once you stand your feet with me, if you're able, if you need a Bible, like I said, as we're walking through this thing line by line, verse by verse, there's Bibles out in the foyer on that table. We'd love to get one in your hands and it's yours. Take it home, mark it up, walk through it, underline, do all of that um, as we walk through it. Ephesians chapter one, if you got it, say got it. Starting verse 11, text reads, in him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were first or the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory very words of God amen Amen. today I want to preach simply on God's sovereign plan part two God's sovereign plan part two would you pray with me father God thank you so much for this morning you're a good God we thank you for just bringing us to this place God I just pray one prayer right now Lord that you'd hide me behind your cross so that you may be lifted up in this place, that you remove me, decrease me, so that you may increase and people would hear from you, God. We thank you for your goodness. We pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said together, amen and amen. You can be seated. Well, in Luke chapter 15, Jesus gives the story of a man that had two sons. He had two sons and the younger son comes to his father one day and he says, Father, give me my inheritance. Give me my portion of the inheritance. Thus saying to his father, you're dead to me. I don't want you anymore. I just want what you're giving to me. Give me my inheritance. Give me my portion. 
and I want to leave. So he gives him his portion, which would have been a portion of land. He takes the land, he cashes it in, he gets some money, he goes out and he spends it on wild living. He's spending his money right and left, got the new Jordans on his feet, all of those things, Birkenstocks, whatever you wear, that's what he had on his feet. He's rolling from, from town to town, he's spending all this money, and then a famine comes over the land. He has no money anymore, and he's at his lowest end to the point where he's on all fours, bent down, trying to eat pig slop. Here's a Jewish man who, who has nothing to do with pigs. They don't like pigs. They still don't eat pork. And here he is, not even not just trying to hang out with them and work with them. He's trying to eat the food that these pigs eat. And then one day he comes to himself. He's like, man, my, my pops has, he's got servants at his house. He, he, he's got everything I need. And I'm out here trying to eat pig slop. So he says, I'm going to go home and I'm going to tell my father, I, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And, and as he's coming home, his father sees him off in the distance. I can picture his father just per perched on the porch. He's, he's looking out and he, he's just gazing for his son. And then his son, he sees a little speck and he just runs to him and he jumps and he, he, he grabs him and he embraces him. He kisses him. He hugs him. Because he's happy, his son is home, and, and he gives him his, the finest clothes, and then, he, then he, 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 he kills the fattened calf, and he puts a ring on his finger, symbolizing, you are still my son. Now, as I read this story, I'm going to twist it up a little bit for you guys, because I started thinking, I'm like, I, I want to ask this question, what if the son truly knew how much the father loved him in the first place? You know, what if he truly knew how good he had it with his father at home? I mean, what if he knew all that his father had done for him was for his good? What if he tru truly knew all of this before he ran off? What if he knew all of that? See, see, I believe that if he really knew all of this, if he really knew all this, it was deep down in his soul, he was rooted in it, I don't think he would have ran off. I don't think he would have left home. I, 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 I think he would have stayed there. I don't think it would have took him getting into some messy pig slop situations of wanting to eat this pig slop to realize how much and how good his father was. I don't think it would have took all of that. See, I think if he really knew how much his father loved him, he would have stayed there willingly and he would have served alongside him and he would have waited for that inheritance that, that would have been much more sweeter when it was actually given to him. See, if he really knew how much his father loved him, though, See, and, and here's what I'm getting at. There are too many of us, saved or not, that don't understand that the true sovereign will of God for us to be rooted in Jesus, to be rooted in him. But instead, we take advantage of his common grace, the grace that we even have breath in our lungs and we do what we want to do. And it, and it takes us getting into some messy pig slop situations for us to realize how good God actually is. See, what if, though, we truly understood that, that he's pre-planned from the beginning a plan for our good? What if we truly understood that, that God was for us and, and not against us? What if we truly knew how deep the Father's love was toward us? You see, if we really understood this, we really believed this, I believe our world would look very different. 
It looked very different. And instead of us wanting our, our, our bread and butter now or our inheritance now, we would wait patiently with, with great anticipation, serving God with our lives until we received that inheritance in heaven. Friends, hear me. It, it's key for us to understand the sovereign plan of God. And the reason we're, we're breathing and we're living the day, which is because we're all image bearers. We're created in his image, and, and he's waiting patiently like a good father, like, like Luke 15, waiting for us to come home. He's waiting. He's wanting no man to perish, waiting for us to come home. So today, as we jump into this text, as we jump in, I, I want to dive further into God's sovereign plan, his sovereign plan, so hopefully, hopefully we'll all come home. And if we're already home, we'll stay home. We'll stay with him knowing what awaits us in heaven. Amen? Amen. Let's jump into this text. This past week, when we looked at Ephesians 1, verses 1 through 10, we looked at the greeting. We looked at this intro, this great intro prayer that Paul has towards the church at Ephesus. And he's, he's writing this beautiful opening prayer from a, from a jail cell to this church and these new believers. And, and his intention is to let these believers know all that God has done in and through Jesus for their sakes. He, he, he wants them to know that, that he's went to great lengths to save them. To the point that he's pre-planned this whole thing since the beginning of time. In these verses today, he, he continues that same sentiment. He continues that same sentiment and he begins by saying, look at it with me. He says, we have obtained an inheritance. Everybody say inheritance. inheritance. Now, the we he's referring to is Jesus-believing Jews. Hence where he says they were first to hope in Christ. But now, don't tune it out because here, here, here it is. The passage is talking about all of us. He says we later. He's talking about all of us. So, so, so here he says we have received an inheritance in Christ. Friends, hear me. This inheritance is sonship as sons and daughters of God. But again, we receive this in and through Christ, not by our works. See, again, Paul is making us realize that this, at the heart of the gospel... It destroys this, the narrative of this American dream, at least when it comes to salvation, that, that if I work hard enough, I can do anything. I can get anything. It destroys that. See, see, the gospel says God has done all the work in and through Christ for you so you don't have to work. As a matter of fact, you were dead. You were dead in your trespasses. You couldn't do anything. There was nothing that you could do. It is by grace that we are saved, which should humble us. It should humble us to know that we walk in freedom as believers, knowing that God has done all the work. Which alludes to what it says here in the latter half of verse 11. It says, having predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Again, here's this word, predestined. We saw this word in verse 5 last week. And this points back to what we talked about last week and what Paul is essentially saying. He's essentially saying this to believers. Being sons and daughters and being able to take part in this inheritance is only in and through Christ. Again, God sovereignly planned this thing from the beginning. This is happening since the beginning. Now hear me though. Predestination 
should not be a fearful or troublesome term. It shouldn't. But it, it should be freeing to know. It should be freeing to know because by knowing that God has done all the work in and through Christ since the beginning of time, your faith, now hear me, is not fickle or arbitrary because it's rooted in something more solid. It's rooted in something more consistent. Basically saying salvation is not in what you do. It's not in what we bring to the table. It, it, it's, in God. It's, it's by God's plan, meaning it does not waver because God is unchanging. You, you don't lose it. it this, is, this is God's plan. Now, friends, this, it, this would have been troublesome for the people in, in Ephesus. This would have been troublesome for the people in Ephesus. And if we're honest this morning, it's pr- troublesome for some of us. It, it's troublesome for some of us because here's the truth. The people of Ephesus, where they, they trusted in this, these, these Greek gods and they trusted in idols where their salvation was based off of what they did or what they brought to the table. We too, we, we, we base our, our fulfillment, our success, our, our joy, our happiness off of what we do. We, we, we base it off of things that continually change, that don't last, like relationships, Jobs, money, school, we can go on down the line. We base our fulfillment, our salvation, our success off of things that constantly change. And Paul is saying here, he said, look, believer, look, look, believer, let me remind you, you are rooted in something far more solid that does not change or move. So stop forgetting. Stop forgetting and remember who God is. Remember who he is. He spoke light and life into existence. He, he speaks and mountains can move. He makes the rocks cry out. Donkeys talk because of him. He's the same God since the beginning, and he's not changing. God says, lean on me. Lean on me and walk in freedom from approval. Walk in freedom from basing your worth off of what you do. Walk in freedom from, from basing what, who you are off of what people say you are. He says, I love you. I love you, and I thought you were worthy enough to send my son to die the death that you deserved. And the text says, because you believe, now you're my son. You're my daughter. Now, looking at that verse again, verse 11, still in verse 11, it says, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And here's where I think a lot of us really trip up. Because when you look at this, he's basically saying that to some extent, everything that happens is in some sense predestined by God. Now, hear me. There's a difference between God knowing something will happen where he may allow it to happen for his glory or for your good, whether that be a blessing or a trial, that, that's different than saying God caused something to happen. He made it happen. Now, both of them are forms of predestination. One involves him being all-knowing, knowing everything, and the other one is him actively planning and doing something. Different, though. But hear me. God doesn't cause evil. Because here's the thing. that When I say that, you're like, well, God calls all. No, God's not causing evil. Now, he may allow it to happen, but at the root of the evil is the sin in our hearts. But in it, somewhere, God may get the glory. 
Whether that's people coming to know him, believing in him, or a believer's faith becoming strengthened. There's a difference between him causing something to happen and him knowing about something. And, and, And here's what we need to hear. God doesn't take away our choices. And the reason I say this is because I know some of y'all are saying, well, what about my free will? What about what I want to do? What about my choices? Free will, y'all, hear me, is weird. It's weird because what is it if God, in some sense, has predestined everything? Right? That's what we ask, right? What's free will? Now, remember, I just said there's a difference between God knowing something's going to happen and him causing something to happen. But hear me, although God is sovereign, he does not take away human responsibility. He only takes, it's only taken away or, or messed with a little bit with, with, in the process of salvation. That, that's where it's, 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 it's really, that's where he takes that away, in the process of salvation. Now, now, now let me talk about this for a minute. And, and, and I have to talk about his sovereignty again because although I said last week there's something bigger and more important that we need to take away from the scripture, which is that God has rooted us in and through Christ. He's hidden us in Christ. He saved us in Christ. Through his work we're saved. Some of us still have that question. Well, what about my free will? What about my free will? Hear me. Free will when it comes to salvation is tricky, but it's not complicated. It's tricky because... All of us exist with this independent will of wanting to do what we want to do. We want to live our lives. We want to do what we want to do. We want to make our decisions. We want to make all these choices. And and, and so even when it comes to salvation, hear me, when it comes to salvation, it's hard for us to accept the fact that God chooses to save us. We don't choose him. He chooses to save us. It's hard to accept that. I mean, because outside of believing, there's nothing we have to do. We don't bring anything to the table, and it's nothing we have to do, and that's totally contrary to everything else in our lives. We can't even get to the love and and grace that has been displayed by God because our societal way of do, 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 do all these things is ingrained in us so that salvation becomes this unfathomable mystery, not because he's loved us so much, which it should be unfathomable because of his love, but because I'm stuck on all I got to do is believe? What? I don't have to do anything? which now makes salvation a mystery. Makes it a mystery because almost everything else in our lives, we feel we have to do something. We have to make it happen. It's our responsibility. So so we can't even make it to this grace and love and salvation because we're like, hold up. Hold up a minute. There's got to be something that I got to clean myself up. I have to make it right with God. I have to do something. No. No. We don't. And then on the other side, because it goes a little deeper than that, on the other side, because of this ideology of working something out, making something happen, we make God's sovereignty a bad thing because now he's taken away my free will to choose. What? We totally missed the good news in this. That he would do everything on our behalf and we don't have to do anything. There was nothing we could bring to the table. Now we work from approval, not for approval. That's good news. Hear me. 
That's good news because some of us won't submit to God because we want our freedom. We want our freedom, and the truth is, hear me, y'all, he doesn't take away your freedom or your free will. He actually really, here it is, he really makes it truly free. Some of y'all missed that. And, and here's why, because before you accept Jesus, your choices and everything you do is driven by some other motive. There's some other, other motive that's underneath that's driving everything you do that you have become a slave to, whether that be success, approval, comfort, power, control of person, relationships, money, you name it. There's something underneath the surface that's driving everything we do. We're all working for something, but when you know Jesus, you are loved and you're already approved, so you're not working to appease any other motive because he's already pleased with who you are right now. Because of Jesus' work, not your work, because of Jesus' work, so now you can live in true freedom and love. Do y'all understand where I'm going with this? That's true freedom. See, free will exists in our choices, but he doesn't leave the process of salvation up to your free will, and that is a good thing. It's a good thing. You don't choose to be safe. Hear, hear me when I say this, because... This is the reason that savior complex or, or the will to do something or, or achieve salvation, true fulfillment is fleeting and depressing. Because you can say all the right words, you can do all the right things, you can be the perfect witness in front of people, you can say all these things and, and live the perfect life and, and it still not be enough because God didn't leave salvation up to you. He didn't leave that up to us. And if we keep that ideology what will happen is we'll come to God and we'll get to heaven's gates and we'll say, God, I did all these things. I did all these things for your sake. And he's going to say in Matthew 7, like he told the guy, he says, get away from me. I never knew you. Because it's not about what we do. It's about what he did for us. It's about us knowing and believing that. God, through the work of the Holy Spirit, as we talked about last week, he, he's in, in verse 3 uh, last week, and we see in these verses, he does the work of regeneration in our hearts. He's, he's regenerating our hearts to bring us to this realization of that, that we're sinful, that, that we need to repent, and we need a Savior. See, if we, all call our, if we call ourselves believers in here, there was one point in time where we all were dead in our trespasses, dead in our sin, destined for death, in need of a Savior. We were dead, and the last time I checked, family, dead people couldn't talk, they couldn't think, they couldn't make choices. It's through the work of the Holy Spirit, God's presence in the world, he's, he's regenerating hearts and he's bringing men and women to himself, he's drawing men to himself. I mean, look at it this way, because I, I don't know if you guys are getting this, look at it this way, it's kind of like getting shocked in the heart or in the chest with a defibrillator. I mean, you're literally dead until the, the electric impulses run through your body and hit your heart and bring you back to life. You're literally dead. Salvation starts, hear me, y'all, by the work of God in our hearts, not by our choice. God is regenerating those hearts. Okay, some of y'all are missing this, so I got to go to school with y'all a little bit on this one. Can y'all go to seminary with me a little bit? Okay, because some of y'all got to get to your head before I get to your heart. We're going to get to your head before we get to your heart, so we're going to go to seminary a little bit, so follow me. Salvation is broken down in a four-part process. 
Four-part process, and which we'll get more into in the, the coming weeks. We're going to break this thing down. We're going to milk it dry. But as humans, we all start off in a place of rebellion, a state of rebellion from God. We don't know him. We, we, we're doing our own thing. We're making our own decisions. We're trusting in what we think is right. We don't really see a need for God in our lives. We start off in that state. And if you remember from last week, and I just talked about it, the Holy Spirit is in the world. He's, he's also a comforter. He's a seal of redemption, but he's also in the world, and he's regenerating hearts. He's working in hearts to bring men and women to this understanding of, I need a savior. That's called regeneration. Everybody say regeneration. Regeneration. It's the effectual call of God through the work of the Holy Spirit, drawing men and women to this place of repentance where we understand our need, our sin, our need for God. See, repentance, again, it's the genuine turning from self. You're turning the other way and saying, God, I need you. I've been trying to do it my own way, but I need you. I can't do it this way anymore. I need you, Jesus, in my life. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. You're believing in his death, burial, and his resurrection, which now makes you justified by what Jesus did. Not what you did, but what Jesus did on the cross, declaring you righteous in God's sight. God looks at you and he sees Jesus. Now you're righteous in his eyes. Your sin slate is washed totally clean by Christ alone, which is that second part. It's called justification. Say justification. 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 We are justified in God's sight by Christ's work alone. Not by our work, but Christ's work alone. Picture a courtroom. we got quite a few lawyers in our church. Picture a courtroom. You're in the courtroom and there's a judge. God's a judge. You're on trial for first degree murder. You're about to get the death penalty. But instead of you getting it, Christ steps in. And he takes the penalty for you. He takes it for you. Now, he goes to the grave. And you're free now. You're free to walk. We're totally justified and free and declared righteous because of Jesus paying the price for our sin. He takes the sins to the grave once and for all. Then he rises from the grave with power in his hands, newness of life. So that if we believe, we will live with him for eternity and we'll experience that same new birth, that same new life. That's why we take part in baptism. That's why we celebrate baptism. When when we go under the water, we're baptized with Christ. We're buried with him in baptism. We're we're, we're taking part in that baptism, that, 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 that burial, and we're coming up out of the water, symbolizing his resurrection, new life in Christ. We're going to celebrate baptism and Easter, so I'm going to throw that in there if you're interested in that. See me after service. Y'all still following me? Yeah. All right, you still with me? Okay, y'all going to school with me. Cool, this is great. Now, the third part is called sanctification. Sanctification. Say sanctification. Sanctification, sanctification which begins in regeneration, where the believer is now set apart, set apart for God's purposes, and now the Holy Spirit is he's purging sin out of your life. He's, he's, he's conforming and transforming you into the image that God really wanted you to be in the first place, the image he really, truly wanted you to be, which is why if you're a believer and you come to Jesus, you ever come, when you come to Christ afterwards, it seems a little harder. You're like, man, I, I know Jesus now. Why is it harder? I feel like it should be easier. And here's why it's harder, because now you see your sin. You see your depravity. You see your mess. Well, before that, you didn't know you were messy. You thought you were the bomb and, and a bag of chips. You thought you were awesome. And now you're like, no, no, I'm, I'm horrible. I'm messy. 
See, the Holy Spirit is allowing you to see that. He's purging all of that out. And what you have to do, believer, hold on, is continue to trust, continue to believe by faith and, as, as, and actively choose Jesus over your flesh in doing this cleansing or sanctifying process through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, hear me. We really won't achieve true holiness, meaning without sin, until we reach heaven, which brings us to this last part of salvation process, which is called glorification. Say glorification. Glorification, glorification where we're totally purged of sin, and, and Jesus comes back, and he frees us from the very presence of sin, and he takes us to heaven, and we will live with God, fully redeemed, forever with him in glory in heaven. See, it's the culmination of the salvation process. So, so hear me. What I want you to see is that God works in the whole process of salvation, starting with regeneration. Second, justification. What's the third one? Sanctification. And lastly, we have glorification. Now, most of y'all ain't going to remember nothing I just said. <laughs> Which is why I usually don't take you to seminary when we're preaching sermons here on Sunday morning. I, I, keep it, I try to keep it pretty simple. But this is the main point I'm really trying to get in. I don't want you to miss this. Don't miss this. And everything I said is that the salvation process does not happen without the move of God. It is by grace and his love that we're saved. Amen? Amen. Now, how our human responsibility and God's sovereignty all really work together, even through all I just said, we may not know all the ins and outs of how all of that happens until we get to heaven, and then we still may not know everything. I mean, we believe by faith, but it's really God who's drawing through the work of the Holy Spirit to get us to this place of belief. So, I mean, it's indeed a mystery. It's a mystery. And, and if we knew everything, why would we need God? Why would we need to put our faith in him? Why, why would we need him? So instead of focusing on all the stuff you don't know, focus on what you do, which is that he has loved you. He's given up all these things through his son. He's done all these things on our behalf. And he calls believers to now love him and then love thy neighbor. And then hopefully we'll see this world be different. But I know some of y'all still sitting there like, well, man, what about my human responsibility? I still, I still got free will because that thing is deeply ingrained in us, right? I, I, need, I still need to do something. Still got to have a choice. Well, hear me, okay. We're going to get into that a little bit later as we get into the chapters 4 through 6. We're going to talk about that because, yes, we still need to believe. We still need to honor God with our lives. We need to share Christ with others and, and live lives pleasing to God as we see Paul doing. We do see that. So hear me. This is what I want you to hear. God being sovereign. God being sovereign doesn't take away from our human responsibility, but also here that human responsibility does not save you either. That's through God's work. This is the great mystery. This is a great mystery of his love. And the perfect biblical example is, is I love looking at Adam and Eve. You can look at Adam and Eve and see just about anything. I mean, Adam and Eve, they're saved. They're in perfect peace. God created them perfect. They're in the beginning of the word. They're, they're right there, and yet God sticks them in a garden, tells them to stay away from this tree. He puts it off limits, and now they know him. They're created. They're saved. They know Jesus. They know God. I mean, they, they're, they're unlike us. They don't have any sin yet, but, but God, he, he says, I'm going to put you in this garden. Now, God knows they could mess with this tree. 
He's all-knowing. He knows everything. He knows that they can mess with this tree. But the mystery is, okay, if you know all that, why do this, God? Why, why would you put them here in this place? Because they're already saved. They know him. They know God. And this is where, hear me, where human responsibility comes in. They know God. They love God. God loves them. They, they, they supposedly really do love him. But hear me. True love is only theory until tested. The true love is only theory until tested. And no, don't hear me saying that God is just trying to test them and put them under the microscope and see what they're going to do. No, no, no. They know what God has told them to do and what not to do. And they have this responsibility to obey him and love him. Satan is already lurking around right now. He's been thrown out of heaven. He's lurking around and they don't know that nor do they need to know this. They don't need to know all of that. They, they only know good, good. They don't really need to know evil. All they need to know is what God told them to do. If they listen to God and obey him, they'll be fine. And, and i got to believe, though, that God, he, he loves like a true father. He's like the father in Luke 15. He's like, look, I'm going to give you everything you need. I'm going to let you go, and I'm going I, I, to let you have some space. Make your own choices and put you here. And, and, I, I, and, and hopefully... Hopefully you will understand how good I am. You'll know who I am and you will honor me. Hopefully you will honor me. He puts them there, puts them in the garden. Now they have the choice to obey or not, and they choose not to. Now hear me, this was not a choice of salvation. It was human responsibility. And because these folks made this choice, Adam and Eve, we all are fallen as a result. We're all born sinful. So family, what this lets us know is that we do have choices. We have responsibilities. It's just not all up to you when it comes to salvation. But for the believer, when we really know and we truly understand it, uh, uh, rooted in, in who God is and what he's done through Jesus, when we truly, really understand that, what he's done on our behalf, that truth should, conduct, should help us conduct our lives in a way that's pleasing to him. And on top of that, Jesus has not left us alone. He, he, he leaves with the Holy Spirit who's a seal for our redemption, as this text says, but, but he's also a helper. He's also a helper, so we don't have to fully depend on our own selves like Adam in here. We, we, we have the Holy Spirit. I mean, he had God, but we have the Holy Spirit with us. And we still might mess up. But Jesus has already taken the rap for us. He's already died for us. We don't have what it takes. But he did. Now, family, I'm hammering in on all of this. Because if we do not understand that we're truly rooted in God's work through Christ and nothing we bring to the table, then we will truly struggle with the rest of Christianity and continually rebel against God for the rest of our lives. If we don't understand it's not in what we do in our strength, but it's in what God has pre-planned and what he's done through Jesus and he's our strength. We're going to struggle. On top of the struggle we're already going to have. See, we make salvation too much of a wonder for the wrong reasons. We make it a wonder for the wrong reasons, and, and we miss why it's truly a wonder. We miss it because, it, which is that God, 
would see us dead in our sinful state, in our trespasses, in our straight, messy, pig slop situations, and, and, and from the beginning put a plan in, in, in order for us to be saved. Now, if that's not enough, then he goes ahead and creates us knowing that we're going to mess up and fall. And then he chases after us continually. And then he sends his son, Jesus, to die the death that we should have died. Where if we believe, we will live with him forever and ever. Man, that's the wonder of his love. The love of God is a mystery. But now knowing what he did, now when I sin, when I mess up, yeah, pastor messes up too. When, when I mess up, I don't sit back and say, dang, I done messed up again. I sit back and I sit in my mess and I'm like, man, I am messy. I'm sinful. I'm undeserving. I'm depraved. I'm all of these things. But yet at the same time, I'm still loved. I'm still loved by God. And see, that truth humbles me to keep walking through life and all the ups and downs and every day to give him glory because he is good. That, that, that type of love, though, is a mystery. See, but in order for us to truly experience this love, we have to be willing to relinquish control and listen to the call of God and say, I'm here. I accept you, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for saving me. And then the question after that is, Will you remain at this place of knowing your sin, but yet at the same time knowing that you are loved? Will you remain there? See, that's the wonder of salvation. That's the wonder of this love. As we get ready to end, there's one more thing in this text we have to pay attention to. I mentioned it at the beginning, but the text is, when it's talking about salvation, hear me, the truth of these verses, we pay attention to me. you got to pay attention to the personal pronouns. Remember I was telling you last week, you got to pay attention to the sentence structure. you got to pay attention to these personal pronouns, like we and the yous, because when Paul says, says them, it, it can be confusing, because really, he, he's not really talking about the same people in these, verse, these three verses. In verses 11 to 12, let me show you this. When he says... We, he's referring to Jewish born or first hope in Christ. That's what I told you at the beginning. But in verse 13, when he says you, he's referring to Gentile believers. Or in other words, anybody else that's not Jewish. Hence, again, this letter is written to a diverse context, these people in Ephesus. But then he says we again in verse 14. In verse 14, now he's going back to we because he's referring both to Gentile and Jew. Look at this with me. He says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. You see those? You see the you? You see the we? Family, these verses let us know just by simple observation, when we look at this, that God through his pre-planned will planned for diversity in the kingdom of heaven. Heaven will not be one people group. 
So hear me, do you, do you think God is looking down at, at, at our world and he's looking at the racial divide, he's looking at the social economic divide and he's like, man, I love that. That's awesome. No, he's not. He's not. He's looking at it and he's, he's not pleased because that's not his desire. That's not his plan. That's not what heaven will look like. And what this means for us is that the wonder of his love and salvation is available to all people. And it also means that as believers, we were made to dwell, to work, to live, to eat with people who don't look like us, who are not like us, who don't vote like us. That's why when you really have true diverse relationships where there's, it's multi-ethnic, it's socioeconomically diverse, and it's diverse on multiple lines right in your inner circle, it may be hard from time to time because society has made this very hard, but it's also very life-giving and, and satisfying. You know why? Not because it's cool, but because this was God's design. This is a sovereign plan. Hear me again. We were all made in the image of God. And salvation was not meant for one people group. But God did all the work for salvation through Jesus to save all different types of people from different walks of life. He says if you believe you're, you're sealed, that's everybody again but like I said before if we don't know what we have or who we have this inheritance this inheritance through if we don't we don't know we have this inheritance through Christ or what God has done through him then we're going to struggle living living this Christian life or struggle becoming a Christian period because the deepest root of the Christian faith is rooted in God's sovereign plan and how he loved us since the beginning. Now, as the band comes to the stage, you may be here and you're saying, Pastor D, that's all good and I'm glad you believe that, but not me. And I want to say to you, I'm glad you're here. Keep bringing your questions. We want you here. We want you here at Renewal. This is a great place, a safe place for you. I invite you to be here. You may be here and saying, I want to believe, but I don't know where to start. I want to believe, I don't know where to start. And I want to tell you that's good news because the fact that you want to believe means that the Holy Spirit is working in your heart to bring you to that place. All you have to do today is believe. Trust in Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, and what he's done on your behalf. Put your faith in him today. And lastly, there's folks in here that do believe. Where you walked in here and you've been having a tough time. You're in that sanctification process, that stage, and you're just having a hard time. You're having a hard time in your life. Maybe it's your job, your identity, your singleness, your marriage. I want to encourage you right where you are to keep trusting God. Enduring the process. Friends, if you were in any of those places this morning, you're saying, that's me. I'm going to invite you to pray with myself and Pastor Luke this morning as we take communion. Don't leave the place, this place the same way you came in. We're rooted in something very solid that's strong and pre-planned since the beginning of time. Amen. Let's pray.